Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. So gear up with the crew as they talk about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. I know right off the bat you're probably wondering whose voice is this? Well, this is Keith Morrison and I am going to be filling in for Chris tonight. Uh, just wanted to um, give him a little time off. And I'm here with an awesome guest and a good friend of mine, Captain Joey Landrino. Hey, Joey. Hey, Keith. So thanks for uh, for uh, coming uh, to uh, to talk with me tonight. Um, I'm sure a lot of listeners are, are going to know right off the bat who you are. Um, and um, But let me uh, give you an opportunity to tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Hey, yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Joy Landrino. I'm a I'm a native of uh, of Louisiana. I'm from the uh, little bitty village of Plocheville, Louisiana. Uh, I now reside in Gainesville, Florida. I um, came from came to Florida in 1983, uh, chasing uh, the job market, um, and uh, I, I've been uh, an outdoorsman since since a uh, little bitty guy. Uh, I grew up in the west of Chafalaya Basin. Uh, fishing mo- all freshwater, um, and uh, from freshwater. When I came to Florida, I I also stayed with freshwater for a while, then transferred into saltwater after after a few years. Um, uh, but that's you know I I've been fishing basically all my life. You know, right. Um, I got a little picture here. I was when I was in uh, seven years old, caught a five and a half five pound bass on a fly rod. Yeah, that's uh, fish, a, that's fishing a big with bass. fishing with my dad. So, uh, artificial um, fishing, artificials, and fishing for big fish has been since I started. So you grew up doing it, just kind of like me. Grew up freshwater fishing and then transitioned into saltwater. Right, right. All right. right. And so, for those of you who don't know the name Joey, um, you might know his product, and he is the owner of the Slick Lure, and um, that's one of the things that we're going to get into, but. Um, before that, I'm sure everybody wants to know, how did you get into trout fishing? Um, when I moved to Florida, uh, one of my goals w- was to catch a 10-pound bass. You always heard about the Florida 10-pound bass thing. Oh, yeah. So I was fishing the local lakes here at Lake, Lake Lock Lucid right outside Gainesville. And uh, within six months or so, I, I caught a 10 and a quarter. Oh, wow. Uh, so I was on top of water. So I was all, so I that was that was like a major a major feat, and unfortunately, a, about two years after that, the water quality in the lake dropped tremendously. Uh, a sinkhole opened up, the lake pretty much drained, and I was like, okay, what am I gonna do? And then I migrated over to um, uh, saltwater uh, for basically same technique: redfish, you know, speckled trout. And 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 that kind of thing. So um, that's basically by necessity. Either I'm going to stop fishing, or I'm going to figure out something else to do. So that's how I I transitioned in from um, uh, freshwater to saltwater. And and when I first um, got into the saltwater scene, I growing up in the most northern part of the Atchafalaya Basin, we were all freshwater guys. So I wasn't on the coast much. So I, it was a, it was kind of a, quite a bit of a transition. We we're using the same gear, but it's different. It's a different game. And um, so I, I went with a lot of guys and, and uh, just paid attention. And, and then eventually I, uh, I started to get more into it and, um, uh, did my own research um, and started studying the coastlines with uh, back in the in the early '90s using um, Department of Transportation, Florida Department of Transportation. Yeah, you were uh, just showing me the maps and the, yeah, the images that you had. Yeah, That's the, old, pretty... the old nine is black and white, nine inch by eleven inch black and white uh, aerial photographs of the coastline. Okay. 
And um, so, so you transitioned from from a bass fisherman, and that's uh, just like many people into saltwater kind of redfish and trout. And then, um, what led you into really targeting big trout? Well, the progression was learning the learning the habitat in the in the on the coastline, so I could I could learn how to catch fish. Okay. And the reason why I was using the aerial the old black and white the aerial nine nine 11s was to find hard bottom, and I was targeting redfish at the time, mostly redfish. But after a a, a period of time, I would catch redfish, but then I was always a one or two really good trout in in that area. If I would go to, and once I would pattern a, a coast, a, a section of the coast, and go back, a lot of times if the red redfish weren't on that one specific hard bottom, I'd catch a big trout. Okay. And and it was like, okay. And I was waiting, these, I was getting out and wait, I was run, running to these oyster bars and stuff, but I'd get out and wait them. And I, I was watching the progression of the tide and the bait and studying that. And over a period of time, I actually could start sight fishing these really big single, single trout that would come up on top of the bars if you were really quiet. And you could see them in knee-deep water and watch them just glide here and there. And they would glide off and you see a little bit of bait flicker, you know, this and that. And you could work them, work work them that way. And it got to the point where uh, it was more interesting and more um, challenging to catch these single and or little pods of two and three larger larger trout than than redfish. Right. So it got to be kind of a kind of a obsession after a while. Yeah, yeah, that makes and, sense. And and that's basically what. Uh, what led me to uh, start targeting big trout was a um, progression after chasing redfish. Okay. Now, was there uh, any single instance or experience that really made you want to target a big trout again, or was it just a slow progression? I think it was it was kind of a slow progression. Okay. I mean, it it, it you know. Um, I, I never forget the first time I caught one that was a little over four pounds. That was the biggest speckled trout I had caught. But it was again in a in a in a little bitty tidal creek on an isolated little little bar. Right. Um, and that was only one fish. I caught I caught that one fish, and I'm like, okay, now I need to be able. Now the light kind of went off. Okay, and I took that experience and said, okay, how can I start duplicating this? Yeah. And then I just progressively got went on and on and and uh spent many 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 hours uh on the water by myself um uh, fishing these fishing these areas but 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 it quickly quickly i learned that almost all the big fish i was catching was in relationship to some kind of hard bottom that makes sense and i definitely noticed that uh in this particular area um, where you primarily fish and where I've been fishing lately is the big bend of Florida or Florida's nature coast. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's typically where we see the most big fish is around the hard bot. Right. So, um, and we'll come back to that a little bit later about uh, talking more specifically about the area that we're fishing in. Um, but as we mentioned earlier, uh, so you own and created the Slick Lure. So uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to know a little bit about that. Um, so first off, I'd like to know what made you start designing and making your own lures. As a trend, as a progression in in studying, you know, using I was way ahead of the curve on these aerial photographs. I mean, I you had to buy these from DLT, and yeah. nobody was doing that. This was before GPS. This was you know you still had uh, low ran uh, receivers and and you had hard paper charts and 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 the only thing that i found these these dot aerial photographs so it was learning these and learning the 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 learning where the hard bottom was and and fine-tuning the tides and 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 all that it, it was just kind of a natural progression as to once i really understood what i was 
targeting and, and got into that, the, I just decided, I decided that some, a lot of the lures that I was using, I needed to fine tune them more to target what I wanted. I wanted to fish this hard bottom at a foot and a half of water over, over rock. And I had, I had a 12 inches or 18 inches of, the, of displacement and a right. lot of the, a lot of the hanging treble hook lures weren't, um, it, it was, I was hanging up too much. I, it, they weren't efficient enough. Okay. So it was to, out of necessity. Then. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a progression of, of over time, you really understand what you really want. Right. Yeah. And, and paying and really studying it and really understanding what you really, really want to do. Right. Okay. I see that. So it was more of a, a maturation of, of, of my saltwater fishing techniques and, and basically I actually call it skill level to where I, I needed to take it to the next level and how, how am I going to do this? I'm sure all of us have had at some point had that thought, like if I had this lure that would do exactly this right now, I would be catching them. And then some well, of us like you are the creative inventor type that'll go out and make it happen. Well, and, and that's, that's kind of what happened was um, in, in 2009, I, I, um, uh, I got laid off. I was in, uh, I'm an air quality scientist by trade, and I've been in private cons- uh, consulting for 30, three decades, three and a half decades. 2009, the economy got really bad, so I got laid off. Right. So, at the, but I was fortunate enough to have um, a fish camp over on the coast, on the west coast in the Big Bend um, seagrass preserve area. Um, so I was spending a lot of time at my camp doing little odd jobs here and there and fishing a lot. Oh, yeah. And I was really, really dialed in on these big fish during the wintertime in cold water. And really, I'll never forget, it was a Tuesday afternoon, and I went to this rock pile that I knew that was happening. And the first cast, uh, I did a 25 and some change. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, they're, they're there like they're supposed to be. Yeah. Well, the next cast... I let it sink a little bit too much with a hanging trouble hook and I get stuck. Oh. And I'm like, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to go get it or are you going to blow them out or are you going to break off or what are you going to do? So long story short, I only caught like three or four fish, but they're all mid twenties to upper twenties, but I lost like six, seven, eight lures, you know, and I was breaking off like crazy because it was just that day they wanted a really slow uh, presentation. And if I, it was just if I made the cast five feet one direction, there was some rocks that were a little bit taller than the other side, and uh-huh. you know what I mean. And, and the wind blows a little bit, and and I was just by the end of the day, I was I was more frustrated, uh, even though I had done several mid twenties and upper twenty fish, but it wasn't I wasn't satisfied. Right. So I so I went home and I went back and said, you know, hey, I can do. It's exactly what yeah. you just said. Well, if I if I would if it would do this or it would do that, if you took this, you did that, and but anyway, I, a week or two or three went along, and and um, I was driving down the highway, no radio on, no nothing, just thinking, still thinking about it. Oh yeah, and um, the idea came to me. Okay, just take what you're fishing and throw all the hardware away. Right, make it weedless. Put the big hook, big extra wide get make the slick. Make make the idea of, the, of that big soft plastic jerk bait with a big extra wide gap hook sitting on the back eliminates all the hanging troubles. And that's why well, was my idea. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and that took months before I could even get a so, so had you ever um, tinkered with making your own lures before that? Well, as a you know, growing up as a kid, you know, seven years old, fishing, fishing, you know, popping bugs and stuff, and fishing with my dad forever, and being around all our fish, well, he always tinkered with stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, we changed hooks. Was well, a fly fishing I mean, I, I, too? Yeah, I mean, you changed hooks all. You know, I started out changing hooks, you know, forever. Or <laughs> uh, you, you know, a devil's horse. You had two two spinners on the, I didn't want the front spinner. So you take the back spinner off or the front spinner off and you keep the back spinner or you don't take the, you take the middle treble hook off and you leave the front and back. And okay. you, I was always, but never something 
to the point where if I wanted what I really wanted, I was going to have to help somebody, get somebody to help me create a mold so I could actually make what I wanted. Right. Okay. So uh, on that note, did you have any mentors or people that uh, were experienced and that helped you establish your business and get started? No, not really. When I, when I came to Gainesville in 1983, um, from being a, my family has a, as a, we have a bunch of guys that uh, men and women, we're all really good uh, cooks, chefs and stuff. So I, I had a catering business um, with Louisiana uh, Food uh, for 12 years. So I ran my own little private business before. So I had experience in establishing, you know, uh, you know, cer- uh, certifications with the state and and sales tax and and all that stuff. And so I knew I knew what I needed to do. And and when I made the when I made the the two ounce single cavity lower I mean a mold for myself I had no intentions of going where it is right now that was not in my so originally you were just going to make it for yourself yeah and that's exactly that's exactly exactly what happened I mean I I I had this envision that you know I needed a, a profile that I and and what happened was I I had a profile that I that I that I knew would would, would work so I wanted to duplicate something that was close to that. I had to be able to make real long casts. You know, I had to be aerodynamic so I could back off in this real shallow, clear water, foot and a half, two foot water over hard bottom and stuff. So I had there was certain, you know, I wanted a I wanted a good belly slot so I could use some juicy juice, uh, artificial. Uh, <laughs> I call it juicy. Procure. Yeah, I use I use Procure. I call oh, it ju- yeah. you know juicy juice. Um, it, it needed to, it needed to be uh, to where I could match it really well with with the hooks on the market, um, and I and it had to it had to be no no hanging trouble. It had to be you know rigged weedless. Right. Um, and I came up with I came up with this idea, and and uh, I never forget, man. I I bought an old microwave uh, at a, a repurposed thing for like. 10 bucks. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, I started, just did it. I just did it from just learning, you know, bought a quart of, quart of plastic and watch a little video on, on, on YouTube and said, Oh, well I can turn a microwave on and heat this thing. And long story short, it took me, I started in June or July and, and uh, by October I got to the point where I could, I could actually do, do pretty good. And what year was that? That was in, um, that was in 2013. Okay. Come um, a long way. Yeah. It took me six months to find somebody to just help me make a mold. Really? Yeah. It wow. took forever. Yeah. Um, that must be the most difficult part is getting started and really getting started. Yeah. That was, yeah. And, and you know, how do you do that? And, and we drew it up in CAD and cut it up a million pieces. And, and I wanted... I wanted a, a a really narrow nose so it could do, be more of a darting um, a darting action, but then the limitations of the of the plastic through the um, through the mold, we couldn't go eighth. It got into got into some physics problems with the plastic going through a small hole. You would you would create eddies and and air pockets and stuff. So we had to compromise and and go into uh, quarter inch, um, uh, uh, nose, nose sizes. And it got real complicated really quick. And, and I, that's what the guy helping me, um, really knew what he, 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 he taught me what I needed to know as to what, so I compromised to his suggestions and he compromised a little bit to me. And then we made this one cavity thing and I said, well, let's just, you know, let's just try it. So, um, and long story short, I did that in June, July, in October. Uh, I went to a, a flooded rock flat, uh, new moon, never forget, new moon, uh, 7.30 low tide. Uh, we got there, it was outgoing tide, foot and a half water, and stuck a 29 and a half wow. inch trout on this proto- <laughs> prototype 
don't know what you're doing, piece of plastic. And man, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That's cool. Wow. Was that your first fish on the prototype? We, no, we, I, before I even started color, I didn't even, you know, that was, you know, you got to get into glitter, you know, so many uh, grams of glitter per fluid ounces, you know, and oh, yeah. the first one we, first one I did was just clear. It was just clear plastic. Uh-huh. I went over by my camp over there, you know, where we, the backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> went right, right in that area over there and that was a little grass flat. And I was just throw it, throw it, and I and I, I caught a limit of keeper, uh, you know, slot fish. And I'm like, geez, man, this they're, they're doing this thing. And then, but I was still waiting. So in October, the little coup front came in, and we had this new moon, major, you know, stars lined up, and I knew where some, I knew those fish were there. I didn't know that day that we we're gonna, but I had a really good hunch that this could be really good. Yeah, because I went over there and checked it. The water was really was really clear, and and I said I I got to go do this. I'll never forget it, man. And, and I stuck that thing, and and I'm like, oh my god. And it was 29 and a half. It was the first big fish I caught on that. Well, that's awesome on a prototype, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. No, no eyes. No, no. Just just the ugliest piece of plastic <laughs> you've ever seen with a hook in it. Hey, it works though. <laughs> it was crazy. That'll that'll uh you know really kind of. Um, set it in that they'll eat anything when they're hungry and especially if you know how to present it and and it's the right presentation at the right time right and and what i and and what helped me gave me obviously that gave me a lot of confidence but but at that tide stage and and where i was hanging treble hooks were not going to work yeah and i I I was on the bottom it was it was the last half of the outgoing tide on a on a new moon tide that was going to that was going to go negative right so i had like an hour and a half of time to get in there and do what i wanted to do so so it was it was a time deal and i just wanted to see you know and and i wasn't there 20 minutes wow right off the bat yeah yeah it was just like okay let me get out of here (laughs) that's pretty good so uh, aside from the slick lure, uh, what other lures have you made, or how many? I've only made the slick lure, and um, I had some guys wanted, and I was thinking after a while, uh, the slick lure. My intentions and what I was was for me to do that to fish this lure in cooler water or cold water, wintertime applications where I was targeting really big fish under certain conditions and bottoms and stuff and 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 you know big big lure slow presentation um but then as the water warmed up those big those big fish left left that that winter that winter um pattern and they were going into deeper flats and i was thinking about well what can i do to put something on a jig head okay and and you know the the original slick was it's not designed to fish on a jig. I'm not saying it won't work, but that's not what I had intentions of. Okay. Yeah. So um, I was talking to some guys at, at the local tackle shop who encouraged me to start this thing to begin with, um, and said, "Man, you just need to make one that's just." And one of the guys came in. He said, "Yeah, man, I was flipping it on the docks with snook." The other day, but the snook was real, real skittish, and it, and it, and and the profile, and the 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 presentation under the dock is just a little bit too much. He said, "Make one that's like half that size." So I said, "Hmm," and he said, "Just keep it the same, but just make it about about half." So I called my my prototype mole guy, and we came up with the little slick. Which is basically the same length, and it's sixty percent diameter of the big slick. Okay. It's, it's four and three quarters. It's just sixty percent of the diameter, and no slot. It's it's like a, a little little trick finesse worm thing. Yeah. And um, it worked really well. I mean, I've caught some snook up to thirty-eight inches on that thing. No, oh, wow! Um, and a lot of a lot of school trout guys are fishing on the popping corks, so it works really, really and well. And now it's just as popular as the. Well, the it's, in some one. in some areas they prefer it, yeah. And um, I have a third a third model that I'm that I'm trying to get the 
uh, dude to cut a, a prototype on now. Really? Yeah. Is that something you want to let us know about? Um, <laughs> or are you keeping it under it's wraps? Been, it's, been, it's been such a time-consuming thing, and it's been taking so long, I better, I better okay. keep it under wraps. I understand that. But it's going to be really – I think it's going to be really good. That's cool. The the, the glued version, the, the the ugly version that I, I've, I've, I've done real well on it. Okay. And we even modified that. So, and the first one we first one we we produced um, the dimensions and the portiality was not right. So we we, we scratched that one. So we're kind of on the second version of the third version. Okay. So on on another prototype of of that. Right. Very cool. Well, I can't wait to hear about that. One. Yeah. This season, we'd like to recognize one of our newest sponsors, and that is Down South Lures. From their regular 4-inch Southern Shad to the 5-inch Supermodel and versatile 3-inch Burner Shads, it's easy to see why these baits have become a go-to for many Texas anglers. Designed with their unique hybrid tail, its natural swims-in-the-fall action produces big trout not only here in the Texas coast, but across all estuaries. Aside from that, though, they're made right here in the USA. So be sure to support this Texas brand that supports you in pursuit of that next big bite. Real Sportswear humbly started making shirts for a few local fishermen. Rooted in simplicity and utility, Real's minimalist approach is a reflection of what binds the fishing industry together. Now found throughout many coastal retailers, their lineup of comfortable and functional gear aims to make your time in the water a success. So next time you're gearing up, Wear what guides wear and consider real sportswear. Mirror Lure is an iconic inshore fishing lure company found in every angler's arsenal. From their legendary lineup of lures such as the Top Dog and Catch 2000 to their versatile soft plastics like the Little John and Marshmallow, these lures not only catch fish, but have produced for decades. So whether it's a 17MR or a Paul Brown Series Fat Boy, Always remember to tie on a mirror lure and turn on the bike. Texas Custom Lures and the original Custom Corky have been podcast sponsors for the first two seasons and we're incredibly appreciative. This Texas brand with inputs from the most respectable guides across the Texas coast complete every big trout angler's arsenal. With great fish catching colors, my personal favorites, Texas Turnip, Bay Mistress, Plum Nasty to name a few. It's easy to see how these things produce time and time again. So next time you're targeting that next big bite, I highly encourage you to fish the original custom Corky. And remember, the big girls aren't colorblind. So then um, I guess you've already kind of told us about what led to creating Slick Lure and about how you created it and that it was created out of necessity because of the area you were fishing, which um, I thought if you haven't already figured that out, you know, we're talking about the Big Bend area, which is like the central Gulf Coast. I guess where we fish is a little more southern Big Bend. Right. Um, primarily from uh, like basically Horseshoe Beach up to like Asilla. Yeah. Would be a pretty yeah. good range. It would be It would be Dixie County and Taylor County, Florida. Um if someone would look up um, Big Bend Seagrass Preserve, um, that would give them a really good um, idea. It's like nine hundred and eighty-five thousand acres. Uh, it's it, it's 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 a really neat area of Florida. It's um, really mind blowing. So you know, I got my my start trout fishing in the Panhandle, mm -hmm. mostly Pensacola and around that area, where we have very little amounts of grass flats. I mean, certain areas have nice grass, but it's not nearly what this is. And I was just mind blown the first time I came out here and launched my boat in Steenhatchee and I started, you know, I got out of the river and, and turned north and, you know, it didn't take long and I'm in just the most amazing grass flats, crystal right. clear water right. and endless grass as far as you can run your right. boat. Right. And that's pretty much how it is uh, everywhere from here. Well, and, and, and now that you experience that, now you understand why, why I, I wanted to make something that didn't have, that was, that had the hook sitting on the back of the lure. Yeah. I mean, if you, once you come to this area and you just drift it, 
that idea comes to you almost within a few hours. It's like, damn, if I, if I just had this, you know what I mean? I mean, if I just had that and I just had this or just had that. And, so and, I'm, and, I'm used to fishing shallow, but I'm not used to fishing shallow in thick, thick grass and rocks. And that right. was an adjustment that I had to make. Right. Right. And that's where where you really showed me up the first several times we fished together. And I was still, you know, stuck to my panhandle methods and techniques. And right. I and I started taking notes from Uncle Joey. Well, I, the first time we fished, remember, I, you know, the other thing that I encourage people to, to do is to start a fish log. And I hadn't I was busy with my with with the lure stuff. And Keith calls me and says, hey, man, let's go fishing. And it was like in late October, early November. And I hadn't fished in weeks. It was a long time. All fall, I hadn't fished yet. So I said, okay, okay. So I look at my log book and, and this little flat, you know, I look back three or four years and it's like, yeah, man, okay. I, yeah, I know exactly. So it's K3, I call it K3 bar. And that goes back to these aerial photographs. And I would just number the bar. I'd call the area. And I just had an alphabet. And it, so this was the, the third bar in the progression along that shoreline. I call it K3 bar. Okay. So K3 bar, long story short, was one of my go-to bars. But that spot we went to, and uh, I was I had the prototype color of what I call cold night now, which is cool beans, which is like a, uh, what do they call, opening, opening, night. opening night. But everybody wanted a chartreuse tail on it. So I just cut the tail off cool beans and, and glued a chartreuse tail on it. And I took it with me. Uh-huh. And what I did, 26 and a half, right? Yeah, it was a big one. We caught quite a few fish there. Too. Yeah. And, and and you know, but it was it was hard bottom and it was real shallow. And, 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 um, and it, it, it really, um, it really produces in, in those environments. Absolutely. So you keep referring to these aerial photographs, and I see you've got a handful in this box right here. So give us a little bit of information about about what they are for those who you know didn't hear you earlier or didn't pick up on it. We kind of touched on it. Well, I don't. I don't even think. I'm sure you can't buy these anymore. In the early, um, in the early '90s, when I started getting serious about wanting to be um, and growing up. Um, and always being able to catch fish with my dad and, and always being fairly successful, going into just virgin water, you had no, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, that was, I, didn't know, I didn't know the boat ramp. I mean, I just had to learn what I was doing. And I learned about these aerial photographs. And I, I called the guy uh, out in Tallahassee, the Department of Transportation, and he said, well, let me just send you a couple and see if this is what you want. And then if it is, then you call me back and I'll get you what you want. So he sends me the, the master thing and had all, and he sends me a few copies of it. And you can see, I mean, here's, you know, some of the areas we were fishing, those bars just stick out like, I mean, in the troughs. And so, and I'm like, okay, this, yeah, this is what I want. So I ordered from Taylor County all the way down to like Cedar Key, like a hundred and I don't know, I spent. Six cents a piece. I spent 60, 70 bucks, 80 bucks. I don't remember how many. It was a bunch. And then I'd just piece them together, overlap them. Like a puzzle, huh? Like a puzzle. And I, and I would take, and that's how I, that's how I learned. That's how I Can learned. I one of these? Sure. That's how I learned uh, the code. That's pretty impressive. So for uh, for those, well, I'm, I'm holding one of these photos right now from the 90s, you say? Yeah. And, uh, it's an area that I've, I've fished a couple of times and I've seen before quite a bit. And I got to say, I mean, the major canals, like the deep troughs and the major uh, oyster bars and rock piles that are, that are there now, you know, are very pronounced uh, in this photo. And it's 30 plus years old. That's pretty wild. Um, well, and what did, what, what, and, and again, I was targeting hard bottom looking for redfish and, and what happened was I didn't know I, big trout was not, I was, that was not what it wasn't kind of in my, in my sphere. You know, right. I was kind of like in the gray, in the ether zone. Everybody knew about catching trout and right. redfish, but no one really was onto that trophy right. trout. Right. But, but, but then when I started really peeling, what I call peeling the onion back, 
when you peel a few layers back and you really, you know, you have a good fish log and you're keeping track of your, your tides and your winds and what water temperature is critical. And then I started really understanding what putting uh, two to two together. And, 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 and then I started um, understanding what bars after a while I could understand most these bars would have bigger trout on them, but not maybe not necessarily. They'd have some some little rat red kind of things. But there was always a big trout around. You know, you can yeah. always stick one. And I'm talking about big. I'm talking mid twenties. We don't have, you know, this uh, is in Texas. <laughs> not, no, no, no. But 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 we have a, we have a pile of twenty two. Oh yeah. To twenty six. I mean, there's some days we can go and get a dozen. Uh, between 22 and 26. It's not that well, difficult well just, to do. Just last week, I caught 17 from 21 to 27. Right. So, yeah. And it, right. you told me, I remember you told me last year, and you told me earlier this year that I'm going to be sick and tired of catching 24s. And Uncle Joey, I'm sick and tired <laughs> of 24s. <laughs> and that's the next, you know, so peeling the onion back are, are, are you know, um, solving the puzzle kind of thing and and now it's now it's now it's targeting this bottom on this tide um looking for these specific fish and what and studying these aerial photographs the bars that like example the bars with the real white real white bright white uh tops have shell and the cleaner the bar that's where those bigger trout they wanted hard bottom and they didn't want a lot of mud in, in our area and they also if the grass it leads up to the bar they don't want to they don't want to have to swim across 20 yards of sand to get to the bar our water is clear and i think they just feel like holy moly i'm i'm exposed now i'm naked i'm on this I'm on this this sandbar, and this and everybody can see me. I, that's yeah. just the way I look at it. So if you find these bars, and I got to be able to really dial in and finding the, this hard bottom with these clean tops, but not a lot of mud, and then the, this really beautiful grass that's only comes almost all the way up to the bar, where so they can slide in there. They feel conceived. They get on the edges of the, on the bottom slope of that where that grass starts to come up to the bar and you throw that big soft plastic in there, you twitch, twitch, and they eat it. Yep. I mean, it's that's it's exactly what I was doing when I lost all those lures that day because they were intermixed with all that. And and, and for that that day, they wanted a real slow presentation. And, right. And I, and I didn't have... I had too I had too much hardware hanging around. Of course. And, and now that we fished a little bit together, you understand that some you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it just it won't it won't work. I, and I've I've hung up lures uh, in in a lot of rock. Uh, a lot of the lures that I like to fish are jerk baits and mirror lures and stuff like that. And even if I'm fishing uh, potholes, um, I'll I'll snag up a lot of grass. Right. I mean, this endless number of problems right. with treble hooks and. Right such thick grass i mean it is i mean it was like i told you it was it blew my mind because i had never personally experienced grass flats like this well and 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 and, shallow and the the, the flip side of that in the winter time but in the summertime the the old growth grass breaks off and the new grass starts growing in the summertime and and that, that old grass floats up to the surface and it creates this floating these floating grass mats you can't fish any kind of exposed treble hook. I mean, yeah. top water is out of the question, unless you get uh, an outgoing tide, say with an east wind that's blowing the water, blowing the, the trash offshore. Our shorelines run mostly north, north, south, so you get kind of an east wind or a northeast wind during the summertime, or and you, you can fish it for a little bit when the tide's going out. But as soon as the tide comes back in. The trash is in, the trash is back right in there, back in and then you and you and and there's only and so there's not a lot of days that you can do what you really want to do. Now, okay. with with what I came up with, you can fish all those summertime days 
especially when the redfish start moving in up against the Spartina grass. You can fish that lure and just wax them. Yeah. So tell us about the tides in this area. The tides are, um, and I and I've I've looked at that from from as the onion being a uh, hundred miles up. The, the, you know, peeling the onion back. If you like the east coast of Florida, the further the way you get away, it, like the Gulf of Mexico is kind of, it's like a little bay in the big the big ocean. I mean, it's not, it's just tucked in kind of thing. You know, you got Florida down there, you, it comes around, it's half moon shaped, you know, and like Jacksonville's tides on the east coast, like six foot tide, you know, seven foot tide changes is common. But you have the Gulf Stream there, and you got the big Atlantic. And the further you get away from that massive water movement in the Atlantic, in the Gulf, your tide ranges are less. Like Texas, you know, Louisiana, you know, they they worry about they they want to study the minors and majors. But the minors and majors are very consistent with our low tide, high tide. Yes, they are. It's almost the same thing. So when when the Texas guys and the Louisiana guys talk about minors and majors, we're talking about low tide, you know, high tide, but it's just almost the same exact times within that. We have four tide changes in our area, in my area per day. We have uh, uh, two lows, two highs. And the days that you have only three, just stay home. Right. <laughs> That's it, a it, nip tide. It's just not. It ain't happening. Uh, it just, you know, but we have probably a three, three foot tide change on a, on a normal day. And when you get your, you moon full time, you know, flood tide, you, you, you have a four foot high tide and, a, and a, so you have about four feet on, a, on, on, uh, some of the full moon, new moon tides. Um, but we have two lows, two highs. Um, and some of the, some of the areas are better on, you know, it's, it's just like anything else. You just have to. Uh, know, um, know the area. Know, know what you're trying to do, and and sometimes on a, uh, you know, we you actually you've taught me in the last, you know, some of the some of the bottom that that I was staying away of at the real high flood tides, the right. three and a half, four four foot tides, I was staying away from. Um, that's when we did that, that twenty eight and some change. You know, uh, oh yeah, and it was a flood tide, you know, four foot tide, and um, over the years, after the tide would get uh, over three feet or so, like three point five, I would just, I would just call it. The water gets way back into Spartina grass, bait moves in, in, and I would just call it. And what, what, I, what you helped me, what you brought to light was. Those isolated hard bottom oyster bars or rock bars, they're not oysters, there's rock. Go to those that are not up on the shoreline, that those big fish are still in those middle middle range in these coves on those high tides. So that's something that you always learn something. I mean, Constantly. You know, but that's, that's, um, that's my take on, on the tides. Okay. You can go to Apalachicola. I mean, Apalachicola's tides are like half of what ours are. And and uh, Pensacola, further, it, 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 you know, you and know, the further, further west, west you go, they then, get one. Uh, well, two tides. They get a high and a low. Right. The further west you go, it's like it's more wind than it is tide. Water and moves. and in fishing with Chris a few times in Texas, there isn't tide movement. Right. I mean, right. there's. I mean, it might be a. Of few inches, but, but you don't even and, notice it. And it's just my theory. They're way, they're way further from the, from the big ditch that has all the water flowing through. That seems accurate to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, so our tides, I, you know, they can be a, it can be a pain. You know, we have these negative tides during the winter time that that drain, drain everything. Um, if people want to come up, come up that way in the Big Bend. Uh, winter time is a really, really good time to, to fish some of these areas, but um, really pay attention to the tides and, and northeast winds. Just 
drains this area. It just blows everything. And you can walk to Pensacola and not get your ankles wet. You know what I mean? It just blows all the water out. And you, and you have to be really careful because you can spend, um, well, you can sit in a whole tide cycle. Yeah, so, I've I've had times where I was nearly a mile off, off the bank and surrounded by land. Right. I mean, way at the end of the some of the main channels that will take you out. Right. And and bo- boats can't even get out. They're limited right. to only the channel. Right. And, and, and that wasn't even the lowest. And again, studying and going back to the hard copies um, and studying these. And I have a theory theory on that, too. If you look at some of these these troughs that are offshore and I say offshore, they're three quarters, some of them a mile off the shoreline you can see them they're kind of pronounced and when you have these um uh um, drastic tide changes during the winter time the negative tides are during the day during the winter time and they're negative at night during the summertime so i like to do it during the winter time when you can see what you're doing you have to see what you're doing or you you know it's i think it'd be pretty dangerous to do it otherwise um, but I've learned over the years which which one of the some of these troughs um, where the flat will drain into that trough all the way, and then you can target those troughs uh, on the last half of the outgoing tide to low, and then the first part of the incoming tide. But when the tide comes in and it's really moving, and it gets six inches less than a foot above the grass, that bite is off. Those fish leave that area really, really quick. And then they start dispersing into the flat. And then you have to go inshore and figure out what hard bottom or what what you want to target when the water fills up a little bit. So they they move out of those troughs pretty rapidly, like the first instant they get. Yeah, within the first uh, 45 minutes to an hour of the incoming and and they and a lot of these troughs are pretty deep the, fur, the further you get offshore you know what i mean right and they always want like a foot and a half to two foot of water above, above they want about that that much water they got they got grass below them so they feel comfortable with that foot and a half tide amount of water depth that's what i want to say on the outgoing so they won't go all the way back into the four foot water or five foot part of that trough I mean, the porpoises come in and just wax them. I yeah, mean, I guess they, they want to travel the right. least amount that right. they have. And, and, I, and, and I learned that by trial and error, too. Right. I went in a trough one day, way offshore, got off plane, so I could run in there. I got off plane and idled a little bit with the engine, took, took the big engine, took the trolling motor, and I'm like, and I could see the water was really clear. And I was seeing, seeing, well, you know, man, ain't no fish in there today, ain't no fish in there. And we're just, but the last 50 yards, I went in there too quick with the trolling motor, and it's like I had just rolled, ran over a covey of about 300 quail, man. These huh. trout were bumping into my boat, trying to get trying away. To, going back the other way because they couldn't go. There was no water in front of them. They had to come to, under, under me, and I blew the whole freaking thing out that day. And, I, oh, and, and I'm like, okay. Ah, I got you now. Now I see what you're doing. You, you're you're backing up just where you feel comfortable and and secure, but you're not you're not in that deep deep water. And there were people behind me fishing jigs in that six feet of water. And I and I they're probably I don't know what they were catching, but you know, but I I pushed them. So then the next two weeks later, the tide changed. The tide was in the same the same deal. And I went in there and I and I approached them way way more stealth, uh-huh. cut the trolling motor off, and just waxed them for an hour and a half because I didn't blow them out. I've I've so I've seen it on a on a strong outgoing tide where you get into one of these troughs and then the next thing you know you've got dry land all around you and it's right. it's just that right. right. Um, you can actually. I mean, I you I, can actually just put the power pole down if you had some hip boots. You don't even need waders. Yeah, just hip boots, and and walk the edge of it. Yeah, and, I went into and, one intentionally, and and I probably approached it the worst way you possibly can, but on full plane at thirty miles an hour because that was the only way I was going to get to it, and I was right. running through about eight right. inches of water. Um, and most of that was was grass. Right. And uh, within fifteen twenty minutes of getting into that trough, 
it was completely dry around me. Yeah. And the only way that I could have gotten out of there was just to follow the trough further west, you know, right. all the way out into the Gulf. But it's only 50 yards wide and it's it's long. I mean, yeah. it could have taken me out of deeper water, but yeah. I, I wanted to come to that shallow edge. And sure enough. Right. I, but, but in relationship to big trout, I'll say mid-20s and up, um, on that last, last half of that outgoing, right before the the outgoing tide stops uh-huh. and, and it's dead low, uh, that's usually when I would catch um, the, the bigger fish would, would be in there. On those negative tide on, days? On those negative tide days, those big fish. And the first half hour to 45 minutes when the tide just starts to move in, that's when you could stick your big fish. And that was, and some days, man, it was double digits, you know, double digit 24s, 25s. I mean, just crazy. Yeah, crazy numbers. Um, um, yeah, it's like you get, to, okay, I, you know, where's the 28s, man? <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, where's your, where, where, are the, where are those dang things go? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. So, uh, so tell us a, a little bit about the gear you use when you're out there. I throw because I I fish, uh, I fish my stuff mostly, you know, pretty much all the time. Um, the slick lure, I would recommend a seven three, fast action or extra fast tip, medium action rod. You need you need a backbone and you need that fast tip so you can load it up. And make really long cast. Um, that's the that's the rod I prefer. Um, I fish um, a Shimano CI4 2500. Um, there's a new little replacement one of those, like a 3000. I don't know the name of it. Those are sweet. I, I, I'm, the the blue and gold one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I, nasty. I, whatever it is, I I saw one the other day. I was like, mm, I need to probably get one of those, but. But a CI four twenty, I do a twenty five hundred reel, a seven three, extra fast tip, medium action. I prefer, and I don't have any skin in the game with these products. I mean, I I like Shimano reels, so I buy them. The rods I throw, the rods I fish, or uh, my buddy Rick Pena with Rick's Rods here in Gainesville makes custom rods. He's an excellent rod builder. He he builds rods for a lot of the elite elite bass fishing uh, elite bat master guys. He's he's top notch. Um, so he's been making um, he's been making my my rods for me for the last few years. So I've gotten spoiled on. Uh, so have you had him tailor make your rods for the slick lure? Yeah. Because yeah. I know that's one thing that you've mentioned to me that people get frustrated with is. Uh, is losing fish because right. they don't have the right setup or right. they don't know how to, you know, set right. the hook right. Right. What do you right. think about that? Well, I would, I would definitely fish a fast action or extra fast rod, seven foot, seven three, medium action, and I'd fish braid. I use Gamma G A M M A Gamma Torque Braid line. It's sixteen strand. It's really good. Um, I think it's pretty most popular in uh, freshwater, but uh, it's a gamma gamma product. Their their torque braids really really good. They have really good fluorocarbon. I usually tie. I usually use twenty five pound fluorocarbon because of all the hard bottom and the trash and the stuff. I use twenty five. I just stick with it. Um, I tie a uh, your your basic loop knot. You know. Uh, the loop knot I use is called a canoe, canoe man knot. There's an old guy down in Southwest Florida. Was, they called him the canoe, canoe canoe man. He came up with this double loop, back loop, one through the other, pass it through. It's a real simple. Clean. You do that? Is that what that one's called? Is that the official yeah. name for it? It's the, yeah. Because I've tied that loop knot, and I've never met anyone else that tied the same one. Right. And I never knew a name for it, and I it's, don't know where I learned look, it. Canoe man knot. Okay. Thank you that, for telling I, me that, that. That's what I was called back in the nineties. Yeah, you take the one loop, pass yep, it through. Yep, yep. yep. And, and the tag end, the tag end is always back. Yeah. And it's it works. It works really well. It takes five seconds, I, maybe it, ten seconds. Of time. And you don't. It, yeah, it's it, it, yeah. You're not doing multiple. It, the wind can be blowing twenty five knots, and you can do it in the wind. If you're listening to this, learn that loop knot. You know, um, <laughs> it's the best loop knot there is. <laughs> that you know, I just that's it, and. Um, 
I highly, I went through a whole um, series or whole development of the hook involving the slick lure. Um, when I first made this thing, I had before I I, I got I got the the little two ounce uh, single cavity jobby, and uh, Bernie Schultz, the elite bass guy here in town. Uh, gave me a prototype from VMC, and it, it was exactly what I wanted: short shank, extra wide gap, forged. It 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 came right through the back, right through the center of the back, just like I wanted. And I said, "Great, this is this is this is it." And he he had like twelve. He gave me he gave me seven. I don't know. He didn't give me six. He gave me seven. I don't know what that was all about. Hmm. So anyway, so and I tried, and they worked great. So I get on the deal. And long story short, I ordered several thousand of them, and VMC changed. They changed the hook from the prototype to the production. Oh no! And um, they widened the gap between the point and the shank, and the and the point shank was too short. Oh, they short. So they, they, they yeah. So anyway, then I went to because um, I was always looking at the owner as well. Um, and so then I went to, went to the owner, owner hook and, and it's, it's the hook to use. I prefer the owner beast four rod, um, on the, on the, on the slick lure. Um, it's got the best keeper, that center pin spring stainless steel keeper is the best keeper, uh, I think on the market. It's a very good hook. It's not, the only problem is it's. It's top shelf. It's, um, you know. They, You're going to pay for quality, though. Right. And that's, yeah, those owner twist locks, they're really good. And I, I can attest to the owner beasts as well. Right. Though right now they're kind of hard to get. So I had to, right. I had to um, go with the trocars. Right. They've got twist locks as well. They don't have the center pin, though. And, right. I, and I really like that center pin because it, it helps me drive it in straight. Because right. a few times I've gone off with well, a little spring and it comes out sideways not only that it's not made out of copper or it, it, it's stainless steel oh really yeah like a hitchhiker it's just that little clip thing which, uh -huh. which is terrible and and the material made out of it's real thin so it's a stainless steel and it works it works really well um and there's a there's a video on on my on my web page on on the way i prefer you to rig the owner beast with the slick lure um it's it's just my input uh, i i highly recommend that the cut through the back is at a 90 degree angle and not a round cut through because the slick lure is a half half inch in in height and the belly slot is a quarter of an inch so the back of the slick lure is a quarter inch of solid plastic and if you make the round cut to go through the back, that round cut ends right where the point shank makes the bend in the hook and it sits right there. So the purpose of the point shank and the point of the hook is to make, is to pin it, the point pin makes the hole, the point shank creates the movement of the, of the point and then when the hook turns and, and the fish is hooked in that bend. Well, if you make the round cut and that quarter of inch of plastic sits right in that bend, it doesn't slide down quick enough on the hook set. So you set the hook, the point shank, and the and the barb penetrates just that, but it doesn't turn. It can't turn quick enough. So the plastic doesn't move out of the way. It, quick exactly, enough. it doesn't slide down. It's oh, like, okay. It's like those little. Uh, pinch things you can put on your line so your bobber doesn't go all the way you know it doesn't yeah. <laughs> so it it, it it does the same thing so if the way to avoid that is you make a cut straight through the center at a 90 degree angle and then it will sit there and that bend is open right right and i recommend fishing fishing the slick don't don't pin the the bar don't pin the point to the back just yeah. let it just fish it open you have the point that stick out right right and another um Another thing, I would recommend people, it, it's not an, 
when I made this thing, it, because I was, and I don't want to sound, uh, I apologize for sounding like a know-it-all kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know what the right word is, but um, it just came natural to me the way I wanted to fish to fish it. Um, and on the hook set, if you wait, if you just wait a sec, a half second to a second, a half second's too quick, a second or so, just you feel that love tap, just 1001, 1002, they're not going to spit it out most of the time. They, they just not. And then, then you can, you can come tight on them. Um, but if you feel the tap and you, you, it's like bass fishing. When you, if you don't set the hook on a bass immediately, he spits it out. Well, these trout don't, they don't spit it out immediately. At, at least my opinion that they, they'll hold on to it for another, for a second or so. So don't, because it's such a big piece of plastic, let, let them have it for a second, second and let a them, half. Let them get a taste. Let <laughs> them get a taste and then set the hook and, and then and then you'll be okay. Okay. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed part one. Stay tuned for part two. Gotta again give a shout out to our sponsors, Down South Lures, Real Sportswear, Mirror Lure, Texas Custom Lures and the original Custom Corky, as well as Carbon Line. Show them some love. Really appreciate it. Also, hey, if you're out there listening, whatever platform you're listening on, please rate and review the podcast. We really appreciate it. Good, bad, or indifferent. Always looking for feedback to make these things better. That way we can carry on the conversations with you and bring these to light. So hopefully you enjoy. So until next time, guys, tight lines. God bless. And always remember, take what you need and release the rest. God bless. God bless.